And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup fifth round. Nine goals at Goodison, but Southampton bizarrely nowhere to be seen as Everton beat Spurs 5-4, which sees the Toffees go through but not lorries in a weird parallel of current export conditions. We round up all the cup news, look ahead to the weekend's big games, talk Kane and Son and other footballing offspring in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thank you for joining us. It's Thursday, the 11th of February for us, possibly for you too. The us in this case being moi, Karen Carney of England and the rest. Hello, Karen. Hiya. Lovely to see you. Duncan Alexander with us from Opta Joe. Hello, James. Hello, everyone. And also Dom Fifield of The Athletic. Hello, James. Hello, Dom. You've been busy. I enjoyed your piece about keepers who don't play. Thank you very much. We might reference that later on. Uh, but let's let's get you know the the main thing underway straight off, which is Wednesday's wonderful FA Cup clash between Everton and Spurs. Bernard for Zickerton, no space to get a shot away, but he's turned it back for Bernard, and Bernard has scored. Oh, wonderfully worked by Zickerton for Bernard, and how about that for another excellent finish at Goodison Park? on this crazy night of cup football. Wow, I was I was not expecting a game like this. Karen, can you explain to me what on earth happened? I don't know. I'm still kind of um, amazed by it, you know, considering that Everton play with pretty much four centre-halves at times. I know Dean is back in the side at left-back, but usually pretty solid. And then for Spurs to concede five as well, it was, it was end-to-end. It was a brilliant FA Cup match. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Some really, really good goals, some big mistakes and big errors, which which cost Spurs. But um, look, FA Cup football, I, I, it was brilliant from a spectator's point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I think you should probably celebrate both teams after a game like this. Unless, of course, you're Jose Mourinho and it's not your team, in which case you say something like, this is a hockey score, not a football score. Uh, but in, in terms of how it happened, because I switched on when Spurs were already won the lot more absolutely dominant. Uh, in fact, until about 10 minutes to go in the first half, they were all over Everton. And then suddenly, seven minutes later, they were 3-1 down. Anyone got any explanation as to how that happened? And then and then it flipped round again. Well, football's a, it's a funny old game, isn't it? It's, um, I was a bit, <laughs> bit surprised that everyone was shocked at the goals, given that we're living through a season with, you know, 
collection of mad scorelines. But um, yeah, Everton didn't play well in the first half, but they were they were clinical. But yeah, it was just a it was an end to end match. It was the highest scoring game between two top flight teams in the FA Cup since 1961. You know, Harry Kane came on as a sub, still managed to have mm. ten shots in the game, which is which is pretty rare. Amazing. But the thing that found, I found strange was that Mourinho almost seemed seemed slightly happy at the end that he'd set his team out to be quite attacking, and it hadn't worked. It was like it was like the ultimate justification for him, you know, parking the bus normally. So, you know, I don't think he's he didn't seem too disappointed. But um, yeah, I think it was a it's a big opportunity for for whoever got through this fixture. And we'll see who Everton get in the draw. Now, the draw coming up ahead of the two Thursday night games in the FA Cup. Uh, Everton tired but ha- happy, presumably, Dom, off- after that. Yeah, it's, look, it's a sensational result for them. Um, and it does yeah, give them the, that opportunity to, to win a first trophy since, what was it, 95, the last, the last FA Cup that they won? And, and it's justification for everything that Carlo Ancelotti's doing. They've had a really good season. They, they're still challenging the top end of the, the league for European qualification. They've made progress under under Ancelotti, and she's great to see. I mean, I just I just love everything about Carlo Ancelotti. Um, we always we always reference the eyebrow, but it's 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 the the tactical acumen, the the qualities that he brings, the humour he brings to everything as well. And and I just I just think he's he he oozes quality. Um, and for them to for them to have kicked on. Under his stewardship is 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 brilliant and justification for the for the large fees they've they've spent over the years and indeed last summer. I mean to to do that without James Rodriguez in the team to score five at home to Spurs, a Mourinho team was 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 quite sensational in its in itself. I'd have thought. I think I think you're right. This season, what he's done is he's, he's found a way, and I've watched them quite a lot. And you think. Okay, team selection, they're missing a couple of players, they're playing a little bit different. I watched them um to go to Leicester and they won two nil. And just how tactically he's so much more astute. They look in control, they look dominant, they look fit. Um, just slight little tweaks about the opposition who he plays. They always say, you know, go the opposition will give you something, and he always does that, like tactically. I've been so, so impressed with him because they're finding a way, they're getting results, and I still think he's gonna keep adding to the squad. And you're right about the humour. I mean, they go a goal up, and um, he's too bothered about blowing the smoke off of his uh, his coffee last night. So, um, yeah. no, he's just he's just brilliant. He's just cool. And I think as a player, a former player, when you've got a manager on the side that's just been there, done it, won everything, composed on the side, it just breeds confidence in you. And what he's done at Everton is is brilliant. And they'll keep getting more players in, and that he'll kick them on another gear. That blowing the smoke off his coffee at the end, but it's kind of the managerial equivalent of walking away from an explosion in an action film, though. It's, it's, <laughs> it's astonishingly cool. This was after a Bernard's, uh, insert your own Bernard Castle uh, yeah. line here, but uh, yeah, that, 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 that wonderful winner for, the, uh, for a player who was due to be off in the Middle East at this point, except his, his January transfer fell through. You, you mentioned James Rodriguez not playing, Sigurdsson stepping into that role and doing pretty well. Well, I mean, the two Everton players that Everton fans have had an issue with this season um, have been Tom Davis and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Mm. And both of them played so well last night. I mean, Sigurdsson with three assists and one of his now sort of trademark, very cool penalties where he just waits and watches the keeper. And Tom Davis was was really good all match. So, and again, like Karen was saying, you know, Ancelotti, he's that sort of almost perfect combination of 
tactically astute, but also you can just all players love playing for him. He must be sort of a great manager to uh, to play under, and that isn't the case for for all managers. I would mm. posit just just three points off the Champions League positions now with the game in hand. I say now it's obviously not relating to this game, but that's the situation uh, with the game against Fulham coming up. Uh, this weekend, anyway. Uh, as for Mourinho, bit of a blow to the brand. Uh, down, uh, sorry, a bit of a, a blow to the brand. Duncan, you were suggesting that he was quite happy not to have to bother with attacking football anymore. But um, I'm not sure how how well things are going down with Spurs fans vis-a-vis his his stewardship. Yeah, I mean, again, another chance for Tottenham has has gone. Obviously, they've still got the Carabao Cup final to come. I mean, I guess it's quite fortunate that it's been pushed back to uh, to April. Obviously, it would have been in, in a week or two, um, and their season could, you know, almost be over uh, if that had been the case. But yeah, I mean, Mourinho, it was just it just doesn't feel like everything's working properly. I mean, Gareth Bale was out of this game with not an injury, but um, said he had some feelings he wasn't happy with. So I don't know if that's the first kind of Enwi-based oh, really? uh, injury. Yeah, before the it game. It was listed as a muscle, uh, he, he, that he had taken himself out of the picture with a, a muscular issue. Yeah, well, Mourinho, in a kind of sort of semi-sly way, said it wasn't an injury, but just some feelings he wasn't happy with. Did so... he do a golf swing? Did he mime a golf swing while he was doing it? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Um, was the was the feelings Jose Mourinho's feelings or Gareth Bale's feelings? <laughs> Which one was it? Maybe they coalesced into one sort of giant, <laughs> you know, feeling. It's... But um, yeah, I mean, it just feels like feelings. But um, <laughs> you know, it's not quite working. And you know, obviously Harry Kane came back and semi rescued the the Premier League. Uh, form last weekend mm. but you know another injury for Kane and it's it'll be very bleak again Spe- Speaking of which Dominic Calvert-Lewin holding his hamstring it looked like as he went off for Everton Richarlison uh, rediscovering his scoring touch uh, contemporaneously so that's that's pretty good news for Everton but uh, DCL being out would be a bit of a blow Was this the most enjoyable game we've had so far this season? I don't think so. I I personally liked the um the Man City Chelsea game, and I know I I just loved how Man City blew Chelsea away in that first. So I think it's the best thirty minutes of football I've seen in a very very long time. And in terms of um, I like tactics. I love football. That for me was just absolutely outstanding. Everything that they did, inverted fullbacks, the pace, the dynamic, how clinical they were, it just blew me away. Really. But if you're a neutral, then last night's game in terms of nine goals and two good teams going at it, it's brilliant. But for me, the Man City game tactically and performance-wise was outstanding. I'd probably go for the first half of the Man City-Liverpool game um, in the Premier mm-hmm. League, which I thought was, you know, when Liverpool played basically 4-2-4 and it was, it was the quality and speed was incredible. And then obviously the second half was really bad. And then I guess, I think last night had the same kind of feel to it, a different scoreline, but the same number of goals um, as the Villa-Liverpool game in terms of just right. everyone getting excited and, you know, enjoying it. So, Right. Well I done agree. for remembering these games, guys. It's, it's tricky, isn't it? I, I, would, I would agree Villa-Liverpool. Had, had, had I forgotten the 7-2? But, but any game any game involving Leeds United, pretty much. Mm. You could you could throw in there the the one all draw with Man City was sensational. And I don't know how many attempts there were in that game, but I mean there were forty six last night apparently in one hundred and twenty minutes. 
29 attempts from Spurs away from home at Goodison Park, which is astonishing because they've probably had 29 attempts in their last 20 league games. But um, it was probably, I'd go with that Man City-Leeds match, which was which was fantastic and just showed just how fearless Leeds United actually are. Not going for a Palace game, Dom? Um... <laughs> well, about United away, I'll take that one. Yeah, Old Trafford. Yeah, obviously that was a swashbuckling um, festival of football. One other thing, given the amount, given how finely balanced this game was, the amount that both teams contributed, it didn't go Spurs' favour. But is it unfair, do you think, for all his past comments to have a go at Jose for losing this game? You think you can be critical of him in, in terms of maybe the the makeup of his, his, his back line for the game, but... But then, you know, it does feel a bit, it would be slightly unfair to, to suddenly have a go at him for, for being too open, given the level of criticism we've aimed at him over recent weeks. Um, I, I do think that one of Spurs' problems is he, he doesn't appear to know what his first choice centre-half pairing or or trio is um, for any given game. He seems to have brought Toby Aldevera back into the fold of late, but I'm not sure his form is justifying it particularly. At least Vincent Sanchez is scoring goals, but I suppose that's 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 not too bad when you're being marked by Gilfie Sigurdsson, who doesn't seem to pay any attention at corners. I, I, I just think it's a balance problem. Vincent Sanchez has scored more goals in Liverpool, the city, uh, this year than Liverpool, the football team have, which is reasonably impressive. But um, <laughs> I mean, the one the criticism you can make of managers in the FA Cup is that they start playing reserve goalkeepers, and obviously Joe Hart played in the previous game. Uh, in the previous round against Wickham, obviously brought Hugo Lloris in for this game, which is fine. But then he didn't have a very good match. So, yeah, I don't think you can can blame him really. It was away at a team roughly the same level as Spurs, so it was always going to be you know hard. All right. Well, as will be this weekend's game against Man City themselves, three one winners at Swansea earlier on on Wednesday evening. Are you expecting another five four there, Don? I don't think anyone's scoring four against City. They're just. They're just astonishing, aren't they? Was it, how many now is it? I've lost count. Is it fifteen in a row now? It's just, which is a record. Which is a record. It's just staggering, isn't it? It's abs- I mean, considering where they they appeared to be in the late autumn and the early onset of winter when they looked mm. off the pace and you know that Aguero wasn't playing and they, they, they looked awkward. They, they they didn't even look watertight at the back. You know, conceding five at home to Leicester in the early season, in the early weeks of the season, I, it's for them to have built this momentum almost on the quiet and and done it through defensive solidity, uh, and then allowed on on top of that when they've got that foot foundation built to allow their their expressive players to go and have fun basically and just revel in it in the, in the style. I just they're just they're just something else. They're absolutely mm. sensational to watch and. Uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't know who's going to stop them. I don't. I literally, I don't mean it in terms of the title race because that's gone. But I don't actually know who's going to stop them in a game Has at the moment. Gone? Has it gone? Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll talk about Man City a little bit more later on. I mean, you're right to point out that back in November, November 21st, they were 13th in the table. Man City. That was after they just lost the the last game that they actually were defeated in. And who beat them that time? <gasps> Spurs. They face on Saturday. Crikey. All right. Well, anyway, Man City and analysis, etc., to come. Quick roundup on the other K 
Cup results. Tuesday, managerless Bournemouth beat Burnley 2-0 at Turf Moor. Jonathan Woodgate on caretaker duties for the Cherries after Jason Tindall was sacked last week. Uh, Bournemouth getting into the quarterfinals for only the second time in their history. Meanwhile, Man United needed extra time to get a winner in a dull encounter with West Ham. Scott McTominay with his seventh of the season. Uh, Wednesday, wild celebrations at King Power from both sides uh, because they avoided extra time on the coldest night of the year. And he had shows 94th minute goal taking Leicester past Brighton. Sheffield United moving into the quarters too after Billy Sharp's 66th minute penalty, uh, seeing off a spirited Bristol City. Coming up Thursday evening, wrap up warm, Karen, as you head to Molyneux for Wolves Saints. And then there's Barnsley-Chelsea as well with the quarterfinal draw, as we mentioned before, those matches. Karen, you're seeing Wolves Saints Thursday night, but then you're also sticking around for the game this weekend as well. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm doing both games. I'm quite looking forward to going to the, well, watching the game later on. I think it's a good opportunity for both clubs to try and get some silverware. And I'm looking forward to seeing, I think Southampton are going to play um, Salisu tonight. He's a young lad that's um, coming from La Liga, I think, last August, but has had a bit of health issues. And they've, they've stuck with him and because they believe he's got such a really, really big, bright future. And I think he'll get his first start tonight. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing him play because we know that the issues of Southampton the last few weeks have been defensively, they've been all over the shop and haven't really played their best and also it's kind of linked you know football's a case of two 18 yard boxes and defensively they haven't been great and when your main man Danny Ings has been linked here there and everywhere and, and contract situations it's been a little bit of a tricky period from at the moment so I'm looking forward to seeing their response and uh, a Wolves team that everyone knows is going through a bit of a transition at the moment so uh, should be a very good game. Excellent we'll see what happens then on Sunday when they face each other. Uh, Loads more to discuss, including the rest of the Premier League weekend, next. Now, sir, remember, a tattoo is permanent, so tell me one more time what you want. Uh, Well, I want Bruno Fernandes knocking a liver bird off its perch with a free kick, with Ollie as a kind of, like, god in the sky. Oh, and Champions 2021 on top as well. I can't see anything going wrong there, Man United fan. But if things don't go exactly as expected, Paddy Power's Acker Insurance gets you a free bet if one leg of your 4-plus-fold Acker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, excludes shop bets, excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begamalaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Saturday... Mm-mm. Saturday, brand new Premier League round gets underway with Leicester facing Liverpool at Saturday lunchtime. Then you've got Palace Burnley. Then that Man City Spurs tea time treat with Brighton Villa to follow. Sunday, Saints are Wolves again. West Brom Man United, Arsenal Leeds and Everton Fulham. There'll be two games on Monday as well. That's West Ham, Sheffield United and Chelsea Newcastle. Ooh. Marquee fixture is Man City Spurs. Now, Tom, you were just mentioning their incredible run. 15 in a row in all competitions. Only five goals conceded in that time, one of which was against Cheltenham, curiously. They are five points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand. But they're about to face the last team to beat them in any competition, and that's Spurs. He's got time and space. He's got runners as well. La Celso, one of them. And here is La Celso, freshly introduced and scoring! Now that is what you call an impact! 
back in November. Uh, Karen, is there any particular thing you can put your finger on for why Man City went from that being 13th or that kind of thing back in November to this? I always say um, goals in your games, clean sheets, win your championships and effectively they've sorted the defence out. They've got players back fit. I know they've, they are still missing players, which is, which is scary like Kevin De Bruyne, but... Again, I watched them. Uh, they beat Southampton in the early start of this mad run, and it was their intensity. So, you for me, I always judge a team on how how intense they move the ball, how quickly and sharp they move the ball, because it it just shows a massive intent. And probably the season before, I didn't see that in in Manchester City. I saw a hunger. I saw them moving the ball quicker. They were taking pride in their clean sheets. And in particular that day, John Stones was outstanding. It's just simplicity of his game. When he, he stepped in, he read the game. He wasn't overcomplicating things. Did his job, defenders defend. And I really like that. And when you're in a team and you've got people behind you that take pride in clean sheets, I think you said it earlier that the attackers can go and do their thing. And getting Zinchenko back, for me, is one of the most underrated Manchester City players. Coming in and watched him about six, seven years ago in Holland and uh, it was on loan to, to Eindhoven and, and I sat back and was like, who's this number 10? It was an attacking midfielder. I was like, who's this guy? And it turned out to be Zinchenko and literally two seasons later he's playing left back for Man City and you go in, technically brilliant, comes in, plays as a midfielder. They're just, they're just a joy to watch and they seem to have got their love and their buzz back and, and Diaz has, has probably been one of the signings of the season um, for me. So I could go on and wax lyrics about them all day, to be fair. Mm. But they're probably their... going to lose now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, I mean, they have done in their last two meetings with Spurs. I think both of them 2-0, both of them with City having about 40, well, across the two games, actually 41 shots. Uh, they got interested again. That that seems to be a large part of it. And I don't know if that's down to Pep. And the curious thing, and he mentioned this post-game uh, after the uh, clash with Swansea, was that, this run has come through the most difficult time of the period when they've been playing every sort of every three days or so. You know, as a player, sometimes when you've got so many games, you, you, you do less training. So I know that Pep's really quite intense and he even he looks more refreshed. So I don't know whether, because mm. they're not training as much and it might not be as intense, they're just turning up playing the games and then going away and doing recovery. That might actually be a bit of a, like a, a, fr- a bit of breath, breath of fresh air for him. I, I don't know. But I think, yeah, I think he's been doing that all season as well. I think Guardiola's kind of Kaiser associate the whole of the Premier League in the sense that, you know, he convinced everyone that last season they were on a decline. And as Dom said earlier, that Leicester game, which is basically nearly all the goals they've let in this season, you know, me, everyone was saying that they've had it, City. The Even you over. said that, Duncan. Even me, yeah. Hmm. I mean, unbelievable scenes. Um, <laughs> but they've... They've rebuilt, and like we said last week, you know, they, they now look like a team who have got a lot of ways to break the opposition down. Whereas last season, it was a bit like they were going through the motions. And also, like slightly under the radar, I don't think De Bruyne has been that good this season, especially compared to previous campaigns. Um, he's one of the most wasteful players in terms of shooting this season on on XG. You know, as we've said, they they look fine without him, and you know, Gundogan has now become this sort of, you know. Brian Robson style scoring midfielder that that just looks to be in the box all the time, and Phil Foden is is kind of reaching, you know, his level and his potential. Yeah, they look really good, and you know, as we've said, the 
there have been issues with playing Spurs at home in, in recent seasons, both in the league and the Champions League, obviously. But I really can't see Tottenham uh, winning this one. Narrator, cue, exception. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to scene two. Uh, all right, well, th- that red-haired dude says, Man City, five points clear in the league, through in the FA Cup, League Cup finalists, and a favourable Champions League tie. At what point can we realistically suggest they could do the quadruple this season? I think kind of right now, probably, no? Up until Pep plays a weird team formation in the Champions League semi-final. That's the point we go, oh, not again. Huh. Well, Dom, you, you, you're pretty much handing them the title. You're ready to pay out on those bets already uh, with them five points clear. Uh, Man United, the closest challengers, are at West Brom. So if City were to slip up against Spurs, as they have a habit of doing, Man United could be right back on their tails again. Two points behind with City with a game in hand. I still think that's pretty much uh, City's well, we've title. Seen, we've seen some big swings. I have to say that I've, I've, they're about the fifth team I've predicted would definitely <laughs> win the title this season. So, yeah, look... United United have made have clearly made a lot of improvements this season and, and they've they have got a level of consistency dis, you know, despite the fact that you can tear their, tear your hair out watching them sometimes when you know they're throwing away leads against Everton in the last minute or or losing at home to the, the division's bottom club. That they that just shows how far back they've come from, really. And and that progress presumably gets it maintained and they're they're even more of a threat next season. But mm. They just don't look like a team that's ready to. No team looks ready to 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 topple this this particular city side, given the momentum that that Pep Guardiola's team have have, have built up. But you know, United's away form sensational. You, you, you imagine they they become the next team to go to the Hawthorns and and run riot. I do think that that Sam Allardyce has that's that's one job too many in terms of keeping a, a side up. He's he's not had the the same level of resources really in the transfer market mid-season to to completely revamp a, a team to the level that he would need to to keep them in the division. They they're a better team now in terms of personnel than the, than than they were at the start of the season, undoubtedly. But but I'm not sure their results are that much better, to be honest. No. Um, and and it'll take a while for them to settle as well, won't it? I think his points per game is probably worse than it was under Slaven Bilic. Yeah. But is that the difference then? between this and all the other rescue jobs Sam has done previously he's always come in and spent and brought in players to kind of the last job was Palace Mm. and they were pretty rudderless after the the Pardew tenure when he took over Uh, and he he spent in in January he brought in Patrick Van Arnold Jeffrey Schlupp Mamadou Sacco and uh, Luka Milovievic and and all four of those players played a, a key role in in keeping them comfortably in the division. But I think those four players have all pretty much been regulars when they've been fit in the four years since. Uh, I, in terms of the, the guys brought in at, at West Brom, I, I don't think the recruits that they've made are at the same level. Okay, they did get a one-one yeah. draw at Anfield and at the Etihad under the, the, the village. Etihad. Yeah. And Man United, as you point out, have previously lost at home to the bottom team in the league. And they might be a bit tired after the West Ham game. If you want to sum up Solskjaer's tenure as manager, they've United have lost twice as many games to teams in the relegation zone as they have against sides in the top four. Um, which is what you kind of expect because, you know, United have been good in big games generally and then sort of throwing away the progress. But, I mean... <laughs> West Brom, this West Brom is a different uh, challenge in terms of, 
you know, United can't lose this one, surely. Maybe we'll get another 5-5 like we got on Alex Ferguson's last ever match. Right. That was good. Perhaps. Perhaps so. Well, um, West Brom very much in the more dangerous category then because they're just one point off the bottom of the table. Uh, Man United, as I mentioned, might be tired from their antics against West Ham on Tuesday. Andrew Lang, a game settled that by uh, Scott McTominay sourcing it uh, late on. Uh, Andrew Lang asking uh, what stats, Duncan, you might have that explain his form this season. Ever since debuting, he seems to have followed a gradual incline of improvement. I think he's up to seven goals this campaign in all competitions. Uh, feel free, anybody, to throw in anything that yeah, explains um, the McTom- McTominay. The stat that probably explains it most is his average position. I think people assume, because he's Scottish, that he's a defensive midfielder. But he actually is he's a bit of a throwback. He's sort of box-to-box. And yeah, he has defensive responsibilities, but he used to be a striker when he was younger, and he's, he knows how to finish, as we've seen. So... Mm. Yeah, I think, and also we've got to remember that players improve at different rates and at different times in their careers. You know, you, you, everyone focuses on the players that kind of arrive kind of ready-made at 16 or 17, you know, Rooney's and Bappe's, etc. But a lot of players have a sort of steady improvement trajectory uh, during their 20s and, um, you know, maybe he's one of those, but he's been brilliant recently. Mm. I think, yeah, just, just from like, a player's perspective, playing he's played playing more, Um He's getting more relationship with his midfielders around him. It's just confidence when a manager picks you a lot more and you're in this team and your team's doing better. His engine's a joke. The way he can get up and down, like you said, box to box, he's just physically... um, It was a good little tussle with him and Rice at times, but I think um, just playing more just gives you the opportunity and that's why he can score more, just being on the pitch. Fair enough. By the way, if you're curious about the uh, extraordinary career of Big Sam Allardyce. Do check out our Beyond the Headline podcast, which got a special three-parter on his career. That's how big Big Sam is, three parts. Now, uh, behind Man City and uh, Man United are, of course, Leicester right now, and they're hosting Liverpool. That's a big game. We'll talk about that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Leicester Liverpool, Saturday 12.30. Brendan Rodgers with a huge chance here to inflict a third straight defeat on Liverpool. They haven't lost three in a row since 2014 when they were managed by Brendan Rodgers. Anyway, uh, Duncan, thank goodness you're here because Roy Keane was saying last weekend that Liverpool are putting up the worst ever defence of a, I think he said top flight title, but certainly Premier League title in terms of you know points dropped at this point 
uh, uh, point differential from this point of last campaign. Is that true? Well, it's one of those things you can spin it a lot of ways. I don't want to go against Roy Keane, a man who's won more Premier League titles than me. But yeah, Liverpool was obviously a long way behind last season. But A, injuries and B, last season's points total was one of those stupid, almost three figures points totals. I mean, statistically, the worst title defences are Leicester in 16-17 and Chelsea the previous season. Now, I would say Leicester get an excuse because they're Leicester, 5,000 to 1, etc, etc. Mourinho, the previous campaign, obviously got sacked just before Christmas, after losing at Leicester, in fact. I would say that's the worst title defence because there was no reason for Chelsea to be that bad in in 2015-16. At all time, the worst title defence is is Manchester City in 1937-38, the only reigning champions to get relegated the following season. So that will take some beating for me. Mm. Wow. Plus, we're, we're a long way from the end of the season and things could change dramatically. They are right now just one point ahead of Chelsea and West Ham and Everton, as we mentioned before, are closing in as well. But Leicester are three points above them. They could move into third themselves at Liverpool with a win. And they do have a good record against uh, the Foxes. They haven't, they haven't actually won against Liverpool in the league since February 2017. So long ago that Danny Drinkwater and Coutinho were both on the score sheet. Crikey. They've won the last two games, 3-0 and 4-0, Liverpool. Hmm. What do you think about this one then, Don? Well, this this was the fixture that really made people realise that the title was Liverpool's last season, wasn't it? Is that the 4-0 at the King Power? Mm. Mm. Um, well, they absolutely tore them to shreds. And it's probably going to need a, a performance approaching that from Liverpool to sort of pet their belief now in terms of the top four. I mean, it's, it is astonishing that we're talking about about them and, and, and them fretting about qualifying for next season's Champions League because because they were they, they did look untouchable for most, all of last season and at the start of this. So um, I, I think it's a good test. I think it'd be interesting to see how Leicester juggle their resources. They they're trying to sort of get Jamie Vardy back into some kind of rhythm after his recent injury. He played some part against Brighton in the FA Cup, but then came off. For the latter stages of that game, I, I mean, I love I love watching Leicester as well. I think Harvey Barnes and has been sensational. Uh, James Justin, his his absence, and he he looks as if he had a nasty injury picked up in in midweek, I and mean, that that could be a a major blow for them because he has been superb. They, they do have cover, I, I guess, at fullback. The young lad Thomas is is a is a good promising player, but but I just think it's that that is damaging psychologically as much as anything else to see to see one of your players of the season being carried off on a stretcher um in midweek ahead of a game against Liverpool as well that's that's untimely um so fingers crossed that's it's it's not as bad as first th- first feared yeah the the noises this morning seem to be a little bit more positive about uh, James Justin but uh, yeah fingers crossed as you say Karen any thoughts on Leicester I just think with Leicester the senior players have, have been there and, and won Premier League titles have, have really got to challenge the youngsters now because they had a, an opportunity, I think, um, a few weeks back to go top and they didn't take it when they're at home. Uh, Petr Cech came and did a talk with us once and he said, like, when someone opens a door, you've got to go through it. You've got to take the opportunity. And with Leicester, you know, they get given opportunities. Now is the time to take it, especially against Liverpool where... You know, in a boxing match, you've got them against the ropes. You've got to go for them now. They're in a really vulnerable position, Liverpool. Mentally, can you crush them as well? This is an, this is an opportunity. And probably the thing with Leicester is, 
you know, great, really, really great football club, but now be a bit nasty, punish teams, like go for it and literally go through that door and, and take the opportunity, um, you know, because it, it is a good time to play Liverpool at the moment. So, um, yeah, and, and if Justin is out injured, it's good. Pereira's coming back. Um, it'd be key to get Vardy back, you know, fit and firing. And Madison has to be at his best at, on, on the weekend. So, and, and Barnes as well. So, yeah, I just want them to take the opportunity more and, and have the confidence and belief in the senior players have got to encourage the youngsters. Right, kick down that door. Woof, I'm looking forward to this. On the bench for Leicester, as their backup for Schmeichel, is Danny Ward, who was one of Brendan's first signings for the Foxes. That was back in 2018. He's only made 12 apps since appearances in, in, in all in the Cups. As opposed to iPhone apps. Yeah, yeah. not kind of applications it. or anything. I don't know how many of those he's made. But few <laughs> appearances. It just so happens, Tom, that that ties in brilliantly with the, a piece you got up at the moment uh, on The Athletic. That which link is, went sensational, Jim. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> Goalies who are happy to be number twos, basically, so to speak. Yeah, we we threw out um, requests to our subscribers asking for ideas, and one of the questions fired back was, "Why are some goalkeepers happy not to be playing?" And I, and I think talking to to them for that piece, it, it it's clear that, that those that are happy not to be playing, they're not that many of them. They're really not that many. There are a few that have confidence issues, and they're happier to be on the training ground than in a match they experience and all goalkeepers have sort of seen those around the squad squads that they've played in over the years but the vast majority want to be playing and you'll get the odd exceptions and people always fixate on the likes of Scott Carson at Manchester City now I think he's fourth choice and he hasn't he's obviously gave up regular first team football in the championship with Derby to go and be a non-playing goalkeeper at City Stuart Taylor went through a career, a 21-year career, where he played 75 league games. I mean, it's astonishing when you in look at that. In 21 years? In 21 years, 75 league games that across double figures in, in terms right. of clubs. Um, Richard Wright's another one, another, another ex-England international. I think he played three games in his last six seasons as a professional. So you, you look at those guys, and, and some of them are in the twilights of their careers when they decide to make this choice and they're being offered good money to go and sit on the bench and be training ground keepers and to have an have an impact around the training ground, you know, raising standards. And Andy Lonergan, perfect example, last season, he hadn't played, he's played one game, I think, in, in about 18 months. And he, he, he was going to either Blackpool or Fleetwood. He didn't know where his future was going to take him. And then his, his agent... Uh, texted Liverpool and said look do you need an experienced goalkeeper for your pre-season tour because Alisson had been given extra time off for the Cup of America they took him to America with him he impressed them with his attitude and his professionalism he ended up getting a one-year contract and at the end of that season despite the fact he didn't play he walked away with a Premier League title winners medal a UEFA Super Cup winners medal and a FIFA Club World Cup winners medal hmm. you know in a career that he hadn't really ever gained any yeah uh, but how much would you for. How how proud would you be of, of those if you'd never? He actually was proud be, because he because the likes of Allison and Adrian uh, and Kelleher um, mm. all talked up his impact on the training ground. Okay. He had a role to play. He's not a, right. a visible role for the, for the, the fan, but, but it's, it's almost a, a coaching a, role. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what they are. But the flip side of all that, and I should just add, that the goalkeeper that pro- provided the main interview for that piece, Paul Jones, is 
he's been a third or fourth choice, but in the, at the lowest level, at, the, at League One, League Two, and that's where you're not getting paid twenty five grand a week to go and sit on the bench or or sit in the stand. He's actually getting paid five hundred pounds a week, and he lives his his house and his family are in Norwich, and he was playing at Fleetwood, not playing at Fleetwood, and that affected him badly psychologically, mentally. He he found it really really difficult to to not have the carrot of a game at the weekend to to show what he could do. Um, and it, I think it, he, I mean, he now is in a position where he's he's now training to be a financial advisor because he, he, the offers that he's getting uh, from clubs are in Scotland or they're in the Northwest and he just can't face that, that living away from home, not necessarily playing all the time. And, it, you know, that's the sort of darker, grittier side of, of that non-playing role. Wow, crikey. I mean, there's much, much more being an athletic piece it, it, to be read in 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 that on in the athletic. It's a fascinating piece. Um, I found it quite comforting uh, to see sportsmen who aren't kind of like massively driven and super dedicated. Uh, Duncan, um, just going to comment on Lonergan in terms of how the the gap between being a good keeper and getting the opportunity is kind of so squished as well. Because I remember a long time ago, mid two thousands, when he was young, Lonergan came on loan to Wickham from Preston. And he was so good. Everyone was just like, this guy is the best goalkeeper we've ever had. He was just exuded quality. And if you'd have asked me then, I think he only played one game before getting recalled, which is the worst thing that ever happens when you loan a player. If you'd have asked me then, I said, yeah, he's going to go on and be a really good top flight keeper because he had everything. And yet, you know, it didn't work out like that. If he'd have been a striker or a midfielder, he'd definitely got opportunities based on his skill set. Interesting, Karen. Have you have you come across players who uh, really enjoy playing but would rather not do it in a fa- in a football match? <laughs> well, I think if you look at the goalkeeper one, it's special. We used to call it the goalkeeper union, where you know there is a, a bit of a hierarchy, and you know number one, and number two. Number one's obviously the playing one and two and three are there to train and support number one, really. And it is a kind of specific role and you have to be a team. It's a bit like cycling where, you know, there's a, there's a mm. top man or top woman and you've got to play your role to make them the best. And you're paid to be that person, unfortunately, and you know you're not going to play, but you have to accept that. And, and, and as a guy said, you have to weigh that up, the pros and cons of it. In terms of football, I'm sure there's definitely players that would have been quite happy to sit on a bench. And I think as you get older as well, you that role naturally kind of comes into you when you play that you probably physically can't play every game, but your your role within the team is really, really key with your experience and how you deal with everybody else. I think as you are a senior player, you do, and you get older, you do have that choice. Do you become that bad egg because you're bitter and twisted and you want to play and then you get shipped out? Or do you accept that role and be a good human, a bit similar to the goalkeeping union, know your role and help everyone else stay in the team, be well looked after and get paid well? So it definitely does happen in terms of the goalkeeping and in the outfield players as well. So, um, you know, it it is common within football for sure. Mm. It's a tough choice though, isn't it? Get looked after and be well adjusted or be bitter and twisted. I don't know. It's it's the ego, isn't it? You know, as a footballer, high ego, you want to play. And you've got a... You've you've uh, got to look deep within you. That's what, especially because that's what so much of, I guess, the career so far has been driven on that that whole kind of getting out there, improving yourself, and, and feeling the rewards of it. Anyway, as I say, much more of that kind of thing in Dom's piece and, and many other fine pieces available there on the Athletic as well. Uh, moving on, uh, let's talk about potentially the game of the weekend? Question mark? Question mark? Which is Sunday afternoons, uh, humdinger at the Emirates between Arsenal and Leeds. 
Hmm. What do you think? Admittedly, it was a drab nil-nil when they last met in November. But I, I re- recall the trip to the Emirates that Leeds had in the Cup last January when they were dazzling, possibly because I hadn't seen much of them at that point. It was a 1-0 win for Arsenal. but and, and Plus, statistically, games featuring Leeds involve, what, like 3.75 goals a game or something like that, Duncan? Isn't that right? Yeah, shot every three minutes on average in Leeds. Really? Mm. Brilliant. Which is it's too much for me. Here's another stat. This is courtesy of Simon Ricks, who's the bass player in Kaiser Chiefs, who told us in the course of a chat relating to Leeds that they haven't won a game in London in three years now. You're stunned, as was I. That's given the number of London clubs out there. That's right. uh, that's quite astonishing. I mean, I know they haven't won three Premier League away games in a row since Girls Aloud were formed, um, but they're not <laughs> Kaiser Chiefs. So what a stat! <laughs> How would you have that to hand, Duncan? Have you got like a know. timeline on the wall of, you know, pre goal yeah. uh, post? Okay. Yeah. Um, they are, oh, they, of course, they just won against the London side on Monday night, didn't they? But that was at home at Ellen Road. 2 0 over your lot, Dom uh, Palace. Did you see that game? Yeah, I did. Uh, Leeds were excellent, really, really good. Uh, bags of energy, dynamic, uh, could have scored four or five in the first half alone they were excellent and uh yeah a couple of milestones in that game were there Patrick Bamford's was it 100th career goal uh which was thoroughly well deserved and really I mean, he's 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 made huge strides and, and proved himself at this level this season I found it quite interesting that he admitted that at half time in that match that he put rugby spikes or studs into his boots because the turf was so bad that pitch is I know they just relayed it and they they got that 300 grand pitch in that that, that Spurs were what that was being grown for Spurs and they're going to do it all again in the summer but that pitch is an absolute disgrace maybe he should use Spurs oh yeah <laughs> or not I don't know can you do that can you just kind of sub in kind of rugger studs uh, don't you know? Don't the doesn't the fourth official kind of call you out on that? Well, they I, still I don't do know that what... rudimentary check, don't they? When you go on looking right. at right, but is is that all it is, Karen? Is it easy to smuggle kind of potentially game changing <laughs> accessories in on on the bottom <laughs> of nah, your boots? You're allowed those studs. You're allowed them. Um, yeah, it's totally fine. They've seen players have it before. Kitman will quickly do it. Longer studs, better grip. Yeah, it's no issues. It's not as long as it's, they're not like spiked at the end. Um, yeah, right. there's, there's no issues. Okay then. But teams who visit Ellen Road are going to have to start bringing those up, surely. Or do they? Does that happen as a matter of course? Do you always have a, a set of longer studs in your in your the, kit bag? Well, you'll have your boots, but the kit man will have like every form of stud available, okay. or mm. loads of different. You'd be mad. You'd even think like. Need, what about laces? Someone breaks. Someone breaks a lace. Right. A lot of the time, even I've seen kit men. They burn the laces because people don't like the the loops in them. And you, it's a you wouldn't believe it. Well, you might have seen it in the Manchester City documentary. The, what the levels the kit men have to go to. Um, but they have everything, and they have to have everything in their in their little armory, really, in case anything right. happens. Feet warmers, all that stuff. Right. Leeds going into this clash at the Emirates are ahead of our Arsenal in the table. They're a point and a place above the Gunners, having played a game less, uh, which could quite possibly be the case at the end of the season. Well, no, not the game less bit, but at the end of the season, you can imagine them being ahead of mm. Arsenal. Arsenal, indeed, have a 
a pretty interesting, pretty crucial run of fixtures coming up if they are to turn their season around. They've got uh, this and uh, two games with Benfica on either side of Man City visiting uh, the Emirates, and then they themselves travel to Leicester. Wow, crucial. Yeah, I mean, this is two very mid-table teams who, you know, had big ambitions in the early 2000s and are slowly trying to get back to that level. I mean, Arsenal are good defensively but struggle to score and Leeds are the reverse. You know, Bamford's got more away goals than Sheffield United and Burnley this season, but only West Brom have got worse XG uh, conceded than Leeds. So, it, you know, it could it could be low scoring, it could be high scoring, but, yeah, they're they're pretty... In terms of potential, I think they're quite matched teams, just in, in different ways. All right, loads more to come in this totally, including more of the weekend's fixtures and a famous footballing offspring next. Yeah, slightly random interlude here, but did you see that Didier Drogba's son, Isaac, has just signed with uh, Folgore Karatesi, Karatesi Lightning to you, uh, who are down in Serie D in Italy. Uh, Caratesi is just uh, outside of Milan. Uh, Serie a... D is kind of the national league in Italy. So it's kind of, it's not in the pros. He was on, he was at Gangon before, wasn't he? Which he is was. where Didier Drogba start, started? started. Yes. Well, yeah. I did, he certainly well, did one of his clubs. There. Yeah. 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 Uh, Serie D is quite the hotbed of famous offspring, though, because they've also got Mykon's son there and Mykon himself. Uh, not in the same part of City D, because City D's divided up into about 16 different groups. But one of them has got a, a club called Sona uh, from Verona, uh, happily enough. And uh, th- that's got Mykon in, in the senior team and his son, who's 15, plays for their youth side. City D, huh? But I wish that Mykon's son was called My Son. That would be good. But <laughs> he isn't. It could be called Ivor, and then he could go into the broadcasting business. <laughs> yeah. Um, rivaling City D is a hotbed of famous footballers' offspring, Watford. Now, I think this happened last week. I'm not sure. I certainly discovered it then. With Maurizio Pochettino's son uh, signing to their uh, under-23 side. Do you know what he's called? Maurizio Pochettino. Well, yeah, he is, <laughs> but it's with a Z. It's with a Z. And he's in a team uh, which features Dennis Wise's son, who's called Harry, and Dennis Bergkamp's son as well. They all play for Watford's under-23s. Dennis Bergkamp's son, Mitchell. I wasn't expecting that. One of them that. will be manager next week, so look out for that. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, dearie me. Oh, I've got a note here. It says that Maurizio, with a Z, Pochettino, scored on his debut appearance for the under-23s when they beat Ipswich Town 3-2 last weekend. Also on the score sheet that day... Sonny Blue Low Everton, whose parents are Pauline Low and Johnny Everton, and they're fans of Chelsea. Thanks for that. Uh, okay. All right, then. Uh, it's at this point that people generally mention Ian Wright and Bradley and Sean as footballing offspring. But can I just take that on a step by mentioning that Sean's son, that's Sean, right, Phillips, he now has a son who plays for Man City. Oh, my goodness. Back to the Premier League. Uh, you've got Palace Burnley. All right, Dom. Brighton against Villa. Saints-Wolves, which Karen's going to be at. And Everton-Fulham. Brighton-Villa sounds like fun, doesn't it? It, Brighton's last three home victories have been in different years. 2019, 2020 and, yes, 2021. Do you fancy Villa here, Karen? That's getting blue nose here. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I, I think Villa are playing brilliant at the moment. Really enjoy watching them. Did a piece on Watkins recently. So, yeah, I think it'll be a really good game, actually. Um, they're just firing. Like I said, Tyron Mings has been brilliant as well. Um, he's been colossal at the back. Defensively, been solid. Just everything about him I've really, really enjoyed this year. And like I said, it's difficult for me to say that as I'm a Blues fan, but mm. I can only give credit when credit's due and they have been brilliant, to be fair. All right, but you'll be rooting for Brighton this weekend. I'm 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 a neutral, aren't I? I'm on the pundit, so uh, okay, yeah. I want a, I want a good game for the fans. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, you you can't say fairer than Palace Burnley then if it's a good game for the fans that you're after. That's at three o'clock on Saturday. <sighs> Dom, light the blue touch paper and withdraw. I am there. Are you? All right, nice. Uh, no uh, Zaha, he won't be there, or he may, you mean it might be. We won't be on the field. Wouldn't um, have thought so. No. Hmm. Is this a game between? Two teams who have got the most players out of contract next season. They've both got double figures in terms of, of players whose contracts currently expire at the end of June. Really? Yeah. So maybe they could just do a job swap and we could get Burnley <laughs> next season and they could get Palace. And the football will be exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a big game for Burnley, this, I think, because I, I think a lot of their fans were really annoyed about them going out of the cup to, to Bournemouth by playing a... A, a weakened team or a, a changed team because it almost an illegal I mean, team yeah yeah mm. but it was a good you know they haven't won the FA Cup since 1914 ironically at Crystal Palace um, the proper Crystal Palace not your one Dom uh, in what the cup final with a massive kick clash because they were in Claret and Liverpool were in red but so you know it was a good chance for them the old the actual Crystal Palace was still there in 1914 yeah but down in 36 yeah. did it was it that mm. late mm. But it's where oh. essentially where the pitch was where they played the cup final is now roughly where the athletic stadium is. Am I yeah. right? Or is, yeah, yeah, that's right. On that flat bit, yeah, that's just yeah. the base of the um, where I made parade. my TV debut. Is it? Yeah. In oh, the 19th? No. <laughs> 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 I'm laughing because that's obviously a ridiculous notion. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, there you Hold go. Hold on, you can't so, leave it like that. What, what was your TV debut? Well, I'll tell you at the end. But you won't guess it. Actually, you might if you know my kind of background. But anyway, sorry, you were mentioning this business, all these players out of contract. Burnley at least have new new backing, their new owners, and presumably there's some kind of plan going forward to, for what to do with all of this. Have Palace ever resolved their kind of whole management, sort of their, their kind of ownership structure and that? And how 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 worrying are, is the prospect of, of, of next summer's exodus of players and, and potentially a manager as well? I think the the club are looking at it as an opportunity. To be honest, uh, I think they they've needed an overhaul um, for some time. It would have been better to have a an evolution rather than a revolution. Clearly, but but I think there is there will be funds available come the summer. They 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 have two billionaire American major shareholders who uh, who who have the capabilities to, to to spend money if they want to, and I think they I think they will this summer. I think I think. It could be quite an exciting summer at, at Palace as long as they're in the Premier League still, which they, they should be, and it will allow them to to regenerate, rejuvenate the squad, uh, revitalise the whole place. But I think a few of the twelve will probably get offered deals, but very much probably with the likelihood of playing bit part roles next year, where they can help guide a younger group through the, the vagaries of a Premier League season, and it, 
And the other intrigue, obviously, is who the manager will be, because Roy Hodgson, again, and his staff are all out of contract as well. So mm. there's a distinct possibility there'll be a change in the dugout as well. Dom, I was just going to ask you about that in terms of the managerials. I've read they're in a bit of a dilemma about which route do they go, because obviously currently under Roy Hodgson, he's got them consistent, consistently in the Premier League every season. So do you kind of go with someone that's consistently going to continue to do that or do you go completely the other way like someone like Eddie Howe who's young innovative and, and wants to maybe change different things like where do you kind of see that going I think there is that's a debate that they're having in that boardroom at the moment and yeah that, that it has been one of the one of the views is when you're changing this many players is there a logic in keeping a manager who pretty much guarantees survival and, and will get you through it may not be pretty to watch but but under Roy Hodgson they won't get relegated but I think also there's an acceptance that managers have shelf lives at clubs four and a half years it'll be uh, under Hodgson at the end of this season or almost almost five seasons almost five years and I think in the modern era that's that's quite a long time and and I think it might again it might be seen as an opportunity of course it carries a risk yeah even appointing Eddie Howe I mean Eddie Howe's last job he was relegated in I mean it's not as if he's going to be he's going to guarantee you survival next season but but I think they they could they could find uh, a younger candidate who might be able to might be willing to and more eager to play a slightly more expansive brand of football but would also have the resources that really arguably have been denied Hodgson over the last few seasons because he hasn't really had a lot of money to spend and, and to bring in his own type of player. So it's, a, it's an exciting time. It's an opportunity for them. Graham Potter's doing well, isn't he? He might be an option. <laughs> a wry <laughs> chuckle there from Dom. OK, well, Palace Burnley is this Saturday at 3. Sunday at 12 o'clock and Karen's going to be there. It is Saints against Wolves. Ooh, it's actually the reverse of the FA Cup tie then. All right, uh, stat of the week for you here, Karen. Saints are the only team to play a Premier League match on Valentine's Day but not receive a card. <laughs> it's a good one. Fe- yeah, February 94, they had a 4-2 win over Liverpool. No Saints player going in the referee's book. All other 15 teams to feature in a Premier League game on that day, on 14th, have had at least one card. Um, so that puts... This weekend's clash in fresh perspective. I imagine that Hazel Huntle would probably like a quiet one uh, this time <laughs> around against Wolves. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we'll know a little bit more after tonight's fixture, the, the you know, the FA Cup one, and then and the weekend. I think Minamino coming in, he's obviously cup-tied for tonight, but coming in at the weekend, I thought he made a massive difference against Newcastle, scored a brilliant goal. He, he kind of suits the way that they play with this four-two-two-two. So he he comes in really narrow, and Armstrong's probably on the other flank has been. I know he might has got a little niggle, but he's probably been Saints' most most consistent player over the last couple of months, and again very underrated. But yeah, I think he'll like I said he'll just want to tighten up the ranks, keep it um, stop stop leaking goals really, which has which has been their Achilles heel the last few weeks, and need to get back to basics and what made them successful you know when they got batters 9-0 against Leicester they went back to basics then and you know they've got to go back to basics again in this situation and you know stop conceding goals is a bug basic standard of any football team all right well was not 
lighting up the score sheets at the moment. So uh, maybe it will be a, a better afternoon for Saints this one. As you say, we'll know more after the FA Cup tie Thursday evening. The other game uh, before our next show is Everton-Fulham, which is late on Sunday. Uh, Duncan? The most sure thing fixture in Premier League history. Everton have won all 14 home games against Fulham. If you go back to the olden days, they've won their last 22 home games against Fulham. Um, and Fulham have never won away at Goodison. Uh, and Fulham are on the longest run at the moment without a win. So, you know, fill in the gap. You know what's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, this is... Carlo, Carlo won't mess us up. Narrator's voice, etc. All right, uh, Monday there'll be two more fixtures, West Ham, Sheffield United and Chelsea against Newcastle United. And of course, in Monday morning show, when we round up all of the weekend's action, we'll have a little look forward to those. Uh, very shortly in this edition of Totally, stay with us because we'll get a quick update on what the Continentals got up to in their cup action midweek. Uh, Neymar with a bit of an injury and who Antonio Conte flashed his middle finger at twice. Plus, I'll reveal the shocking details of my TV debut. Uh, first, though, let's get some odds from Lee Price of Paddy Power. Hello, listener. The year is 2031 and everything has changed. Jose Mourinho remains a Premier League manager, but he's now at West Ham, hired on the guarantee of breaking their trophy drought, despite similar promises falling flat at Tottenham and Arsenal over the last decade. His arch nemesis is revolutionary young coach Jamie Vardy, which led Leicester to back-to-back Champions League wins with their distinctive swashbuckling style of play, pinging it in behind for a pacey frontman to lash home. So Marcus Rashford is England captain, preparing for his final international tournament, Euro 32, which has been held in Qatar. As well as his football career, he also doubles as Prime Minister. Newcastle was said to be on the brink of a big money takeover that could revolutionise the prospects of the club, but thanks to an unknown delay, Mike Ashley remains in charge. Manchester United have just opened the extended Ole Gunnar Solskjaer stand with the legendary manager himself cutting the ribbon. The Norwegian, so obviously always destined for managerial greatness, has just celebrated his 13th year at the club with his 13th trophy, the Club World Cup, also held in Qatar. And Paddy Power still sponsored the Totally Football Show, with some knobhead called Lee Price continuing to interrupt the good stuff with odds that nobody asked for. Ah, some things never change. Back to the present day, and Man City are odds on to beat Tottenham with the 5 4 priced at 200 to 1. Leeds are priced at a surprising 3 to 1 against Arsenal, who are somehow odds on to win that. Liverpool are 21 to 20 favourites to beat Leicester, who are 12 to 5. Insert Brendan Rodgers' reference here. And the toughest game of all to call, for Paddy Power anyway, is Southampton versus Wolves, with the hosts priced at 29 to 20, the visitors 19 to 10, and the draw 21 to 10. Love you long time. You can find out these odds. And more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Loads of cup action literally all over the world this week. In Doha this evening, it's Bayern against Tigres out of Mexico. Bayern Munich. That's in the Club World Cup final. Woof. All right, then. Spain. It's the Copa del Rey semi-final first legs that they had. And Barcelona are out. They were on a good unbeaten run under Ronald Koeman. But Sevilla, who are hot, hot, hot right now in La Liga, beat them 2-0. Jonas Kunde with a wonderful coast-to-coast goal. I mean, we all remember Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo's uh, effort for Barca against Osasuna. But this was uh, Kunde against Barca and uh, involves 
nice give and go in the middle of the field. Then he, he has to dribble past a couple of opponents and one of his own teammates who's kind of got stuck in the middle, you know, when you're never quite sure whether step right, step left. But anyway, he makes it past that and scores, and it's, it's fabulous stuff. In France, Paris Saint-Germain, who play Barcelona next week in the Champions League, made it through to the round of 32. Heartwarming stuff, this. In the French Cup, uh, they beat Caen. But Neymar went off with a thigh strain. So we'll have to see how serious will that rule him out of a reunion with his uh, Catalan former teammates. Uh, and also in French Cup news, Nantes got beaten 4-2 by Lens. Why am I telling you this? Because Raymond Domenech, adieu. Raymond Domenech, uh, not, uh, not Dominic Cummings, Dominic Goings at Nantes. <laughs> that would be my headline if I were publishing a paper on that. He had eight games in charge. Four defeats, no wins. Brilliant. Also in cup news, there's more, I'm afraid. Uh, Italy, the Coppa Italia. Juve and Atalanta through to the final. Juve threw nil-nil with Inter. And uh, big spat once again in this. Do you remember there was that huge one between Ibra and Lukaku when it was Milan and Inter in, in the quarters? This time around, it was Juve boss Antonio Conte, who's normally so mild-mannered, uh, but was flashing <laughs> his middle finger at Andrea Agnelli, Andrea Agnelli of the Agnellis. Andrea Agnelli at the end of the game said to him, stick it up your ass, Coglione, which you know, largely means testicle. It's a massive story in Italy. Anyway, the game was nil-nil. No, it's really huge. Uh, Juve fans are doing a petition to take Conte's name because they've got like a, 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 wall, a wall of fame there with, with you know, the little gold stars for people. And he won three titles there and a the manager and, and more as a player. And then there's a petition to take Conte's name off, off, off the stadium now. Uh, anyway, Atalanta also went through. They beat Napoli, uh, which ties in really nicely because Napoli is who Juve are playing this weekend in the league in what? the papers say, could be a make-or-break game for Gennaro Gattuso, who's fallen out... Uh, this is, you know... Sorry, who's fallen out with uh, Aurelio De Laurentiis, the Napoli owner, as managers are wont to do. There's some a lot of talk that uh, De Laurentiis wants Benitez back in, as so many of Rafa's former clubs are wont to do. Anyway, that's a quick roundup on the cup situation around Europe. Well done for staying with me on that. <laughs> uh, looking forward to more action. I think the only thing left to do in this show, unless there's anything else you guys want to add, is there? Dom, Karen, Duncan, no. So, okay. So, what did what was my TV day TV debut? What was it? Come on, at Crystal Palace. Well, it wasn't at Crystal Palace. It was at the National Athletic Stadium. Yeah, that's a Crystal yeah, Palace. Yeah, at Crystal yeah. Palace. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it was on Channel Four in I think mm. 1980. Five or six, maybe six, actually. Not sure if I remember entirely. I was, uh, it was played by I wasn't even born then. Well, you're not, Karen. No. In many ways, I wasn't either. <laughs> um, Sorry, I just had to get that in for better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was still a student, if that helps. But anyway, I, so um, I, I did play-by-play uh, -play commentary on an American football match. It oh, was wow. the uh, Yeah, it was the European Championship Final. The first ever Euro Bowl. That yeah, that's where that storied competition began, the Euro Bowl, which has played every. That was the same around the same time that Grange Hill had their NFL storyline, wasn't it? When all the... Is that right? NFL was obviously massive yeah, in yeah, the eighties. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What happened so in how... their NFL storyline? 
Well, all the sort of tough kids got into NFL and started running around the corridors at school with NFL helmets on and headbutting people. So, oh dear, did that end well? Not that well, no. All um, right, but how was the game? What? Who? Who? Oh, won? it was it was the Amsterdam Crusaders against the Helsinki Roosters. Uh, who won? I think you weren't even born. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look Can we them. Google it? Was was oh, like the internet around then? I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> I reckon it was Helsinki Roosters with a massive scoreline. Yeah, they, don't look. Strong, for them. They're strong not there finish. Anymore. Strong finish. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go, and that's. that's did you go and look end. at the dinosaurs afterwards? No, but I've been there since. I probably did actually, to be fair, because, you know, why wouldn't you? So uh, right. Well, I'm sorry. That was probably a bit anticlimactic. <laughs> But uh, but yes, that brings us to the end of uh, today's Totally Football show. So many, many thanks to Don Fifield, to Duncan Alexander, and to Karen Carney. And uh, look forward to seeing you all again soon. Hope you enjoy the weekend's football, listener. And we will be back here early on Monday morning with our thoughts on that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.